Hey there, my name is Lars van Vegan, welcoming you to the Burnout Power podcast. The show where you will get inspired from people all over the world who not only recovered from burnout, but also grew more powerful afterwards. You will get encouraging stories, insights and actionable tips to move you away from your burnout history into a stable and powerful life. Let me know what you think via Lars at burnoutpower.com. In today's episode, our guest is Amber Rahim from Pakistan, who's done inspiring things after recovering from burnout. Through her leadership blog and coaching practice, she helps you find your amazing creative solutions to your challenges and opportunities, especially if you want to make an impact to your world and create lasting change. And that's what we're about after recovering from burnout. So really curious on your stories. Welcome, Amber. Very nice to have you on our show today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Are you ready to share your insights with us? Yes, absolutely. Nice. So let's dive right in as our listeners can't wait to hear your powerful stories. And to start it off easy, Amber, I learned you're really into coloring. So how does this secret weapon of yours help you prevent stress or another burnout? Oh, just in case anybody doesn't know what we mean by coloring is, you know, the kids coloring books. That's how it actually started when I was spending time with my children and found that I was, I stayed coloring long <laughs> after they had finished and gone off to play with something else. <laughs> That's uh, nice. Yeah. And what I found was that there's something so meditative and therapeutic about coloring in pictures. And when I was recovering from my burnout, what I also really liked was that I didn't have to think of the picture because there's a ready-made picture and I could just decide how I wanted to color it in. And I gave myself permission that the result didn't matter. Like if I made a picture that was ugly, the colors clashed or anything, it didn't matter. All I was going to do was just try different things out and just color. And I found that every time I do it, I just feel calmer and I feel better in myself. And it, that's a nice feeling, especially when you've been through some tough times and stress has messed with your head and your memory and your ability to do things. Just to be able to start and finish something without any kind of responsibility for an outcome um, and to tap into creativity and be playful, that's nice. It is different from drawing then. Yeah. Where there is a, there's no fixed end or some, some results you want to reach. So it's, it, there is an end to the to the drawing itself that you're that you're doing the coloring i mean yeah the coloring yeah it's um well that's mm. one of the things is because i'm not doing it to, like i think art and any kind of the creative arts are really good for you mentally and emotionally mm. um yeah. and what i like about the coloring is the ease of it yeah. is that i don't have to figure out what to draw and color in i just Find books that have images that I like, and there's a lot of options out there. Like the adult coloring world has, is a kind of like secret but explosive world where there's yeah. so many options. And then I just open a page and color until, I, until I'm done, and then I stop. Yeah. Um, and what I also like about it is that I just need my pens and, my, and a book and ideally some quiet time, and yeah. then I can do it really easily. And when I'm done, packing up doesn't take long either. It's like that really nice and simple activity as yeah well. you can do it anywhere any place so yeah anytime yeah so that's really helpful for you yeah and this is something that you can not only do during burnout but after burnout so the rest of your life when you have a feeling of stress that stress feelings come back or there's anxiety there's 
always this nice way of getting your relaxation state back. Yes. In mm. fact, I, I did some coloring this morning to settle nerves and just get myself into um, a good mind frame. And I remember one time I had to submit a proposal for some business for a company. And I was getting really stuck in trying to figure out how to do the wording in my proposal around one particular part of it. It was driving me a little crazy. And then I just stopped and I got out my book, my coloring book, my pens and colored for about 20 minutes. And I didn't think about anything. And I just like focused on the pen strokes, how each of the segments was getting filled in. And after the 20 minutes, I'd had an idea. And then I went back to my proposal and finished writing it. And then I was done. So I use it all the time. But this means that it will also help you get in sort of a meditative state. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where inspiration comes to you. Yeah, exactly. That's a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of like, like when you can get your best ideas in the shower. I find anything where I'm doing something that's particularly mundane and doesn't require a lot of thought. Yeah. Then I get better ideas. And when I'm coloring, it also helps settle me. This is um, something in your brain. So you're probably using different parts of your brain at that point. Yeah, I think so. I'm, yeah. And I'm not too sure, but I, I'm pretty sure there's research on the impact of wh why coloring is so helpful and meditative and mindful. Because I, th I think that's also one of the things I like, because I find mindfulness is a practice that I discovered during my recovery of just, you know, getting really present and in the moment right now, not worrying about the future, not worrying about the past but just being aware of what is right now. And the process of coloring kind of gets me really in the moment because I'm just following my pen. I'm just aware of what I'm doing right this moment. Um, and, and that does do something different to my brain. Yeah. So, it, so let, let's dive into the mindfulness in a, in a second. First, to, to go back to your burnout itself, yeah. uh, there is a variety of crashes you can experience in that period. Could you tell us a story of your most laughable, most ridiculous crash moment during the burnout? Sure. The part that I think the most ridiculous is I'd been working really intensively on a project and my at work and I had gone on holiday expecting some things to happen while I was away that were really critical and I came back and they didn't happen. And I was really frustrated and it really compounded that feeling that I had of if I didn't do it, it didn't get done which contributed to my burnout in the first place. And after sorting some things out, when I was back, I thought, you know what? I don't like the way that I'm being at work. I don't like how irritable I am at home. I didn't like the way that I was starting to speak to my daughter and my husband. I thought, that's I don't want to be like this with them. I better take a rest before it gets too bad. And the reason that I find this the funniest thing was I was so convinced that I was taking action on time to prevent any kind of breakdown or burnout. Mm. And when I stopped work, I crashed and I realized like my brain just like completely unplugged itself. And it was like, I can't do anything anymore. And I realized I was so far gone being in time to stop that I, just, I had to laugh at myself because I was so convinced. Yeah. <laughs> So convinced. so convinced you're I'm in time. You're in <laughs> I'm time. In, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be smart. I'm going to take a break before it gets too bad. And oh, yeah. Yeah. That's um, a... Yeah. 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 <laughs> I can imagine. It's, I think a lot of people have, have sort of similar experience that they, that they finally take a break and go for three weeks to, to some place far away and there everything's fine. And when they come back and I think they're convinced that it was good, it was helpful... That they've recovered and 
just the same. The, the first day you go back to work, it's it's done. You're you're, it's over in it. It's, it's yeah. the burnout's there. I think uh, I heard I heard a lot of people with sort of similar experiences, but in your case, you were also really convinced that it was just in, it was in time. But no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, most definitely <laughs> no. Because after that, I I spoke to my boss and said like, I need to take four weeks off. This can be unpaid. I was very much feeling very much in control of the whole process. I'll take this unpaid, but I just need time off and I'm not coming to work for this time period. And he's like, well, go and speak to the company doctor. And they were like, you need to take two weeks off and not speak hmm. to anybody for, for a while. And when I took, just even after the first day, I just found everything slowed down. So all I think, all hmm. the emergency power generators that I'd been using to keep myself going there's like, aha, she stopped. Now's our time. Switch off. And then everything switched off and I didn't have anything else left. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, a hard one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk to the shop and back. And then I was like, okay, mentally I'm done. I think that's about what I can do today. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a tough, t- a, a very tough period. But in the end, you've recovered. You've, well, this took a long time probably, but You've recovered using different methods. You, you mentioned the mindfulness. Were there any other therapies that uh, that you've used? Yeah, I did. I did some cognitive behavioral therapy, which I found for me, I'm I get very much in my head, and I'm very good at arguing. Like if I think being a lawyer or something would have been a really good career for me because I can mm. I can convince myself at least of anything. And I so I struggled with CBT because it engaged my brain and my brain was determined that I wasn't wrong and every, I was justified in everything I thought. So what actually helped me, the first thing that helped me was I did some haptotherapy. And I don't know if it's in many other parts of the world, but in the Netherlands, it's um, more common. And I had seen it work for my daughter. Um, so I thought I would give it a go. And because it's such a holistic com- looking at your mind and body as a whole one unit. And in that process, I didn't have to think about things. I had to listen to my body and get to feel it again. And this is another another quite funny part of my burnout process was I remember one time when the therapist had asked me questions about like how I was doing that day, what kinds of things were on my mind. And then she had me lie down on the table and because she really saw that I was very much in my head all the time. And what she wanted to achieve for me is to keep me out of my head a little bit and reconnect to the rest of me. And she just ran her hand down my leg from hip to toe a couple of times. And as she did that, she'd asked me to pay attention to the feeling of it. And then I realized that I had a leg. And it was so weird because I could feel my yeah. right leg, but I couldn't feel my left leg. And I, I had them both, but I wasn't connected to one of them and was to the other until she did the same thing on the other leg. And that also was a real highlight for me, a real um, wake up that I was so disconnected to my body that I wasn't listening when it was telling me I was tired or if I was happy or anything. Mm. I was too much in my head. So the haptotherapy helped me break out of being in my head and having to know and figure everything out intellectually and really got me more mindful and more present and listen to what my body was telling me. And it was telling me, you're exhausted and you need to rest. And so that's what I did. I started resting and started looking at well, what actually makes me feel good because I didn't know. And I started paying attention. So the haptotherapy helped me get out of my head. Is, is this sort of a, a critical thing before you, you're even capable of doing mindfulness? just because you explained on uh, not feeling your body. Mm. So being mindful 
helps if you feel your body and then you're in your body. Yeah, I think so. I haven't thought about it this way, but yeah, I think you're right. That How can you be mm. mindful and really pay attention to all the senses and be really have a heightened awareness if you're only in your head? Because then the only thing you can be aware of is the stuff, the thoughts in your head, which yeah. we make. And if we're in a stress state, then those thoughts are generally not very helpful to making us, helping us get better. Mm. So I think that, you know, and our bodies, what I have found is that listening to my body more helps me get out of stress states. It's like it has knowledge and it knows how to take care of me. And if I listen yeah. to it and do what it says, then I feel good and I get better. Yeah, that's a nice one. So it's it's sort of a combination with you for uh, with mindfulness and haptotherapy uh, that in the end helped you the most. Were there any any books that you that helped you as well? Were you able to read after recovery? And it took it, a little while. What I did do during my recoveries, I also, I was looking to change careers because I, I realized that the work I was doing, I didn't like, and it didn't give me any energy to do it. It was mm. an energy drain and I needed to do something else that would provide energy, would be a source of energy for me. So when I was looking around, I came across coaching and I think this really, doing the coaching course and learning those skills and techniques and going through that process actually helped me go from I'm trying to catch my breath now and trying to get back to normal to actually moving forward. Because mm. I think when we're recovering from burnout, we have that moment where we just have to recover and catch our breath and get a bit more energy back, come out of the cycle we have of what got us into burnout in the first place. And then that part of how you move forward and get to what I, what I consider to be like real recovery is how you then start changing the way that you behave and think. You've got to find a new way of being because what you were doing before drove you to stress. So... And coaching really helped me do that. Um, yeah, so you have otherwise the, the risk of fallback, ending up with yeah. a second or third burnout. Yeah. So what, what problems did you experience in that in that time? So after recovery? In terms of, of fallback? Yeah. So after recovery, what problems did you experience, for instance, on, on, on habits or, or things that got you back into the same things as before your first burnout? Um. Well, I got, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a reformed perfectionist is how I describe myself. Mm, is yeah. that when I do things, I've got to, it's never quite good enough. And my standards of what is even the bare minimum is incredibly high. And so uh, when I was doing my recovery, when I was doing my course, I was tempted to then be the best student. When, and I also started my business during my recovery. And then the thoughts I had was, about well, then how much I had to earn and what I had to do. And I could feel myself sometimes getting, creeping back up into a stress state with all the shoulds that I had in my head. And what helped me then was the things like with the coloring and the mindfulness and the coaching when I'm looking at, when I would hit, like for one of the things that we always listen out for as a, as a coach is when people start saying should, we really, we tend to be they tend to be talking about an, an external notification, something outside of them that's telling them that they should have to do this. That there's a an implied obligation. And as a coach, we always look for well, what is it internally that is motivating you and driving you? So when I would find myself thinking I should do this and I should do that, my training had helped me to think, oh, okay, hang on a minute, let me just check these assumptions. What is it that I actually want to do? What's what's behind the should? So I would, I would have conversations with myself on this, but I would, I'd also go to my coach and talk about that and go back to how I actually wanted to be. Um, that was an important part of my recovery, redefining what it meant to be good, I guess. Good. 
So define good. So what it was to be good instead of the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead. That, that's, a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, it's hmm. something that I find that over the years, I think I would say that I've been recovered. It's 2019 now. I think I'd say I've been recovered for about four years. My recovery took about three to four years. And I still go there. I still go there to be the best. And an example I'll give you, it's, and it's a silly one, but it shows how my thinking is still at the core. My instinctive thinking is still the same. Mm -hmm. is we're going to have, it's my daughter's birthday coming up, family are coming around, we're going to make some food for them. And my instinctive thought every single time is make a banquet. It's going to be the best dinner that anybody's ever had. I'm going to cater to every single person's taste and needs. And that's where I go. I, you ask me, should we do dinner for people coming around? And that's where I go. And one of the tactics I use for that to help me deal with it is immediately, as soon as I mentally have made my list, I cut half of it out because I know it's insane, my plan. I'm not doing a royal banquet. The president is not coming to visit my house. And even if he was, maybe he would fi be fine with a really tasty sandwich and a cup of tea. And a relaxed host. And a relaxed a... host. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. those are the things. My, I find that my instinct to go over the top is still there. But I've built in this habit and practice of whatever I think I should do, cut it in half and then have a look at what do I really need? What would be the most effective? And then take everything out. That's an important one because I think a lot of people suffering from burnout or suffer, uh, having suffered from burnout are perfectionists. Yeah. That's sort of a, a common habit that a lot of burnout people have. So... Uh, learning these things from you like this method to cut it in half is very useful so you don't manage to get it off your system completely but you found your way yeah with perfectionism yeah and that's the cutting in half principle right yeah because i also think yeah. you know that that part of me that wants to go all out is also the part of me that has like has a fun time imagining all the great things i can do in my life and mm -hmm. being playful and going crazy with ideas and sometimes doing those things so like i when i look at it i wouldn't want that part of me to go because then i wouldn't be me anymore mm -hmm. but i don't want it to turn me into a slave of my ideas that's what i don't want where i don't so, take uh, care of myself and i just have to do everything because i've had all the ideas so i must do all the ideas i don't want that anymore but i still want to be creative and have lots of ideas yeah so you don't want to lose that part of yourself you still want it but not as extreme as yeah in the past yeah And how does it feel if you've cut something in half and and then you're proceeding with that plan? So the, the 50% plan, yeah. how does it feel? Do you, do you feel proud or how does it yeah. work with well, you? As I'm doing it, especially the first few times, I was nervous. I was like, oh my God, I haven't done enough. It's not going to be enough. They're not going to like it. So that's I had that, I experienced it. And I thought, well, it's too late now. You know, People are arriving in the door. I can't do anything about it now. But it would always be followed by actually in the prep process, I was relaxed and had a nice time. And then my kids could help me because I also I want it to be fun for them as well. So like if I were going to cook and if you've got 10 dishes that you want to make, you can't have a four-year-old help you. But if you're making two or one, then you've got time. To, and that's what I also wanted was I was looking at how do I want to be spending my life and how do I, what kind of relationship do I want to have with my children? is I want one where we can do things together. And I want them to learn how to cook. And I want them to learn that from me. And so it actually felt really good. And then I 
found, because I was paying attention to how do I actually feel now, is that I'm actually okay with this. And I, there's another part of me, this part of me that loves simplicity, that was really, really happy was simple dish and enjoy the experience that you have with the people who have come. So using the same example of, of having mm. a party, then actually getting to enjoy the party. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can imagine that. And then it's like it doesn't really matter about the food. And it, although it's it's nice to have nice food, the food is always nice, but it didn't need to be the big formal, over the top thing. And also, I what I also noticed is that when I did less, people in other people enjoyed it more because it wasn't overwhelming anymore. Because mm. I think that's that's one of the downsides of of us perfectionists is that our standard's so high, it's very uncomfortable for other people because then they feel they yeah. should be at least wanting to do that or we might consider that they're less than because they're not doing it. Yeah, not good for your relationship also then. Yeah. On a, maybe even a subconscious level, but it's it does something to your um, to the inner world of your your guests as well. Yeah. 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 So in the end, it's uh, it's a good experience. Yeah, definitely. It's really helping you. Yeah. Right. And I do that with everything now. It's like, it can be about that, but I also look in my work when I have an assignment and I have to design a learning experience for a team of people, I also just go back to what's the core of what they need and give them enough time to benefit from that and really experience it rather than be driven by a need of how much, what do I need to prove? And it's changed the way that I interact with people and it's changed the way that I design and create things. And I think using the metaphor of food, it's kind of like when you have good ingredients, you don't need a lot. And when you, when yeah. you talk to Italians and they're making food, it's like, are oh, you just going to have some really good tomatoes and good oil and, you know, your meal is going to be delicious rather than put in a hundred spices and herbs. Yeah. Yeah. So more with less. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. All right. So this this was one of the decisions after recovery how how you how to shape your post burnout life there are, are there are more decisions yeah. um, what was in the end your best decision that initiated your journey from being the ex burnout patient to someone who grew stronger and more mm. powerful than than before your best decision sure my best decision huh there I, there there are two parts to the decision there are two that were very close together I'd say that were my best one of the first one was asking for help best decision ever i went to the doctor and i was like okay i can't do this can't finish my sentences i don't know why i go into a room can't sleep i need help and then taking it even when the first few things that i received weren't that helpful but to keep on going okay but i still need help this isn't working i need something else but i need help so asking for help such a game changer mm. um, during during recovery but but even now yeah even now it's it's yeah. what keeps me i guess we're well, not saying it's not quite the white word it keeps me productive and keeps me happy and healthy is asking for help whenever i'm doing anything it's like okay i'm stuck and even when i'm not stuck that's also one of the things i do is i just regularly ask for help so sometimes even when i think oh i've got this and i'll just ask for help anyway because i think well i wonder what they might add to it that's different that could Take what my idea, make it even better. So it's not mm. always a remedial thing to ask for help that I'm stuck and I can't do this. So I failed and now I need help. It, it's become just a practice of me including others and being more collaborative and enjoying the benefits of having other people in your life by asking for help. And mm. you, there are so many gifts with it because people have amazing ideas and they people want to help you. It makes them feel good. It makes me feel good when I can help others. So I know it helps 
makes other people feel good when they can help me. So I use that in recovery and now. It keeps me strong. Um, and the second yeah. part of the, the decision was that no is a complete sentence. I, <laughs> I <laughs> no. Yeah. It is sort of, it's in line with asking for help. That's also a tactic to, to guard your boundaries. Yeah. But the second one is even more clear. Yeah. Saying no. Yeah, saying no. <laughs> and I, I would always have, I felt like I had to explain or justify. And even mm -hmm. with asking for help that you're like, can you help me with this? And then I'd have to explain and justify why I needed it. And if I was saying no to something, I would feel like I'd have to explain and justify it, which added a huge amount of stress to me until I chose to go, well, if somebody asked me something and I don't want to do it for whatever reason, I just go, no, I can't. Sorry. Be polite, but don't explain myself. Mm. And I found people rarely ever asked why. They've got the answer that they want. They wanted to know whether you could do it, yes or no. And you give them the answer, clear cut. And it just took so much stress out of my life. For someone who found it difficult to say no, this made it easier. It is, it is sort of contradictionary, not, not, let me, let me check. So the asking for help, yeah. so is that you're asking someone else for help. They yeah. can say no as well. Yeah. So, and now someone else asks you for help and you say no, yeah. there's a, some sort of a contradiction in there. What, what do you do to, um, to manage that? Well, the, what, how I manage <laughs> it is that, you know, even when you ask for help, doesn't mean they're going to say yes. And doesn't mean you're going to get the help that you've asked for. You might get mm. something else. And people, and I really do think that when I ask for help, people are free to say no. And I generally let them know that. If they don't know me very well, I go like, I'm asking for help, but if you can't or if you don't want to, just you feel free to say no and you don't need to explain to me. This should be voluntary. Like if you can, be wonderful. If you can't, that's okay. And I think it's the other way around. And I think many of us with burnout, one of the one of the things we struggle with is saying no to things. So there's another problem that needs to be resolved. And so we take on more responsibility than we can actually, or yeah. is healthy for us to handle. And saying no, was, I always felt like if it's physically within my capabilities to do it, I should say yes. I felt an obligation. because, And I never consulted myself, well, do I even want to do this? And I actually hope that by demonstrating that it's okay to say no because you don't want to, or for any other reason, that it actually allows other people to say no when they need to say no. So that it doesn't feel so much mm. like a contradiction to me. It feels like yeah. a very freeing way of going into this asking and giving relationship that you can have with people. Yeah. And so both ways are fine. A no or a yes from someone else is good. You, at least you've asked for help. And if not, you find some, some other way yeah. of getting the help you need. Yeah. So uh, people learn best from experiences, especially failures. Uh, we all make mistakes and that's a great thing uh, because in failure, there's also growth. Re what was your own favorite failure after your burnout? Mm. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, that's a good question. I don't think it's just one, but it's, I noticed that I, I, what I find it's, um, what do I want to say? I find myself going down that road again and. You I, mean now? Yeah. Like going back or, into the road of ha having right, taken yeah. on too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, starting the stress levels going up, the irritability yeah. coming back, the sleeplessness creeping back in, the snapping when, you know, cause I can't deal with things. I find mm. that it, that creeps back and. I think the failure that I have in that is 
sometimes I, I when I've beaten myself up about it because it, do, it doesn't help. But then I've gotten frustrated with myself. In the beginning, it would happen more. And then I would blame myself. It's like, well, you're doing this again and you, shouldn't, you haven't learned anything. And I'm glad that now I think part of it is age and maturity and life experiences and doing the work that I'm doing where I'm really looking at understanding myself better is... I'm now like when I find myself drifting back down that path, I go, oh, okay, you're doing that again. Okay, so that's where you are. Is it you're going back? You've taken too much on. Okay, what do you need to cut out? So then I just get very pragmatic. It's like, okay, what do you actually need to do to de-stress? Do you need a day off by myself? And when I talk about day off, it usually means where I'm taking the stress out. It could be go for a walk because that's another thing that I do to keep me well. Because mm-hmm. when I go for a walk, I always feel better. I feel more in control of my life. I feel less tense and less agitated. It just feels good to go for a walk. And so that's the habit that I'm that I have established now is that when I notice myself like make mistakes and fail, is like, oh okay. Well, okay, that didn't turn out how I wanted it to. Right then, let's go back. What is it that I what is what is it that I actually want? What what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? And ask so, myself those simple questions. Yeah, so you're one, you're more kind to yourself. Yeah. And the other one is that you communicate with yourself. Yeah. You're really looking into what's the issue yeah. and how you can cope with that. Yeah. Mm, yeah, nice. If you could send um, a notification to everyone on the globe experienced with burnout, what, what few words or sentence would it say? This could also be a quote. Yeah. Oh, nice, because I was just thinking about that. Is There's a quote by Lisa M. Hayes that I like, and it's this is the quote, be careful how you are talking to yourself because you are listening. Hmm. That's in line with your previous reply yeah. on how to communicate with yourself. Yeah. yeah, and it's important. So thank you for sharing that. You've moved along with coaching, right? So you've made, after recovery, you've really dove into that topic, you learned that, and you even made it your business, right? Could you tell us a bit about that and how this uh, actually helped you and how you help other people with that? Yeah, sure. Well, what I what I love about coaching is that, um, because I'm, I'm a problem solver, if there's a problem, I love to be involved in getting it solved. And in the past, I would take on personal responsibility that I had to solve it. And there are too many problems in the world to solve that for me to solve. And so what I love about the coaching work that I do is I can help other people find the solutions that they want to implement to solve the problems. And that is so exciting to me. And it gives me so much energy when I see somebody else realize that whatever obstacle was in their path, whether they see it as an opportunity or a really big problem, is that they know I've got this. I can do this. What I don't know, I can ask for help. But overall, this thing in front of me, I know what I'm going to do now. And I know how I want to approach this. And I love working with people and have them feel that way. It's a constant reminder to me that I can have it too. Because if my clients can have it, I can have it. And if I can have it, my clients can have it. And it's a really nice this symbiotic relationship where I always get to learn and realize how we're also human, we're also similar and so extraordinarily unique at the same time. So I love doing that work. Really rewarding. Yeah. Both for yourself and for your clients. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. They um and that I also see seeing them and it just it just makes me feel so good. And and I learn so much from them. So many times clients will come with, and they'll come with a question and or a topic that they want to talk about. And 
part of my mind will be like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, I'm doing that, or I'm stuck with something like this. And it'd be different, but I'll see it, I recognize a pattern. And that also helps me to continue to look at, well, what am I doing with my life? Am I doing it the way that I want to? What's missing? Where is it the next place I want to go? How am I looking after myself? I get to do all of those things through the work of, of helping others. And most importantly for me is that I'm not responsible, they are. And when I hold my clients as, you've got this and you're responsible for your world, then I have to hold myself responsible for my world. Otherwise, I'd be a hypocrite. It's kind of a real motivation or encouraging thing for me to live up to what I believe. Yeah. And while helping them, you try to establish lasting changes with them, right? Yeah. How do you do that? There's... um. It's a process coaching where we go really through exploration where I find that once at the core of it, once you you get to know yourself some more, you can then rewrite the handbook about how you operate. There's an, there is a book that I think is, is really helpful. It's called Positive Intelligence. And it has a really good summary of the vast amount of neuroscience and positive psychology that's out there in a really understandable, easy to read way. But like when we're growing up and we're still developing emotionally, we find ways to deal with things that happen in our lives. We find a way to cope and to deal with it. And it's like if you broke your leg and it's in a cast, once the bone has healed, you need to take the cast off. And I think this is the, the journey of adulthood is that we have to take the casts off from breaks that we had as a kid that we've put this big protective thing around that we need to take that casing off and find mm -hmm. the adult mature way to deal with it. So that's fundamentally what the heart of the work that I do is with people getting them to know themselves, chip away at whatever they need to chip away at, not in a therapeutic way, but in a, what do I actually want to be now? Like if I, in the past, if I got criticism, I'd shut down. Okay. How is it now as an adult? How do you want to be with it? And then we develop that. And so we do, I develop, help people develop who they want to be. And it doesn't have to be changing everything, but just how do I want to operate with the world and how do I want to show up and who do I want to be and what do I want to do now, now that I'm here and this moment, no longer a child, and then develop the patterns and start the practice and the behaviors. And, and we do that through actual things that are going on in their lives right now. So for me, it, it, I'm coming at is this is long-term sustainable things. Because also we're humans and we develop over time. And sometimes we'll yeah. hear something and then a year later we'll figure out what it means. Yeah. So they, they you will try to keep them, help them with their habits and yeah. trying to prevent them falling back into old habits or, or yeah. things that they've come up with in the past, but that yeah. they want to get rid of. Yeah. yeah. So that's creating the lasting changes. Yeah. And it's much more about, you know, the difference between giving, give a man a fish or teach him how to fish. So yeah. it's not we fix your problem now, although they mostly solve problems as we go. But my primary focus is on, well, how do you solve your problems in your life? How do you deal with opportunities and challenges? And let's develop that skill so that when we finish working together and another problem comes along, you don't have to come back to me. You go, okay, this is how I deal with problems and challenges. And then you know because you've written that handbook for yourself And then they can go and sustainably do things for themselves. Yeah. And the book, it was called? Positive, Positive Intelligence. Intelligence. Yeah. All right. That could help there yeah. in that part. Yeah. All right. 
before we come to a close to find lessons from other countries and share learnings across the world what would be a specific reason for your country where you're currently living in the netherlands to have such a high volume of burnouts oh there is let's see how do i want to how do i want to say this there is a huge amount of prescription in this country of i think in society in general so not just the netherlands but definitely here in the netherlands as well of how you should be what kind of performance you need to have and there's a lot of i think very intellectual focus on okay well you can have emotions but and that's okay but keep them out of work or keep them out of other things and i think that segregation or compartmentalizing of us as human beings into or to be professional for example you've got to be a certain way and to be that certain way mostly involves taking out any emotion apart from kind of like general in the middle kind of satisfaction you kind of feel nice mildly positive is allowed um but anything else needs to be taken out of it i think stifles us as human beings and it makes it then harder to deal with pressure because we can't show that we're feeling any pressure and sort of keeping up keeping up appearances yeah. or and then having to be cold and i think with that comes that when we start to be more emotionless with each other it's very isolating so how can you have trust when you don't share who you are with each other and if you don't have trust you don't ask for help because you can't yeah. you, it's you're going to be too vulnerable it could be risky so you don't so i think a lot of things that naturally we would want to do the way that i think many societies are structured these days we've taken out the room for us to do this because it's a bit more cutthroat but it's very you need to be rational you need to be professional you need to behave and it's very boxed in and it stops people from being themselves and when we're not ourselves when we're not authentic to ourselves it adds a huge amount of stress so regardless of the circumstances then you have a huge amount of stress already and there can yeah. then i think there are many circumstances that add to our stress as well and um something my daughter she's 7 and what she she told me over the summer was that she was um experiencing a lot of emotions and she she asked us like well why don't they teach you about emotions at school so that they teach us to read and they teach us to write but they don't teach us what to do when you're angry yeah and i'm not saying it's necessarily something that needs to happen in school but i think as a society we don't really talk about it until somebody goes into therapy and then you know they've already established habits yeah so it's after 20 30 years maybe yeah yeah and why not at an earlier age yeah so it's a good valid point from your daughter yeah 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 <laughs> she <laughs> learned so much from my kids they were much smarter than i am yeah yeah we we, we can learn a lot from them <laughs> yeah. yeah there's good questions from them yeah and what would be a good method to recover from burnout specifically or originating from the netherlands Well I I don't know if haptotherapy originates in the Netherlands I know there are quite a few practitioners here I think that more holistic approach helps I have found coaching in as a support for people going through and I do that as well of looking at okay well, this is where you are now where do you want to be coaching is a really great tool to help people get to where you want to be and often i think in these situations i often work with people alongside any other therapies that they need to deal with the past because i think that's also important to do but if you're looking at how do you establish a new habit something that's really empowering is is coaching and it's not established here it wasn't created in the netherlands 
but I'd say like, you know, haptotherapy and, and the coaching process to help me figure out where I wanted to go, the, that combination was really helpful for me. Yeah. So in the, the haptotherapy specifically for reconnecting with your body. Yeah, that's right? part the, of it. Because it's... Um, that's part of it. Yeah, because haptotherapy is a... Re- it's a therapy that looks at your your intellectually, emotionally, physically, spiritually all together. And then and the therapy is more physical and movement based. But there is always that initial conversation about what's going on, that, that therapeutic conversation that you have with a counselor, for example, that that's part of it too. And then they do things with you, that you yeah. do things so that you can actually know that like I've always um, been thinking ahead planning where I'm going to go next and the therapist could see that by the way that I walk to says your energy the way you're leaning forward she's like when you go from one place to another what do you think about and I told her it's like I think about where I'm going to go what I'm going to say there and what I'm going to do and she one of the things she said to me is like okay well in between your appointments like focus on where you are now get mindful of your journey that you're taking and that's another thing that keeps my stress down is that when I do that, and I sometimes forget, but when I do that is in between the journeys, in between the tasks, get really focused on, okay, I'm walking. So what do my feet feel like? What's around me? What's the temperature like? Can I feel a breeze? When I do that, mindfulness, it just takes any stress I have out. So that's what, so that's what I mean by the yeah. talking about it and doing things combination, anything, any therapy or practice or coaching or thing that you can find where you can talk about it and do something find is really powerful yeah so and leave the um your normal way of, of thinking maybe you're a good chess player you're because the uh i believe good chess players always plan like 10 steps ahead I th- maybe that's a good ho- yeah. or maybe not a good hobby for you but you should you know, well i think it's good that you don't do that walking on the street but maybe during chess, it would be a, a good advantage for yeah, your Yeah, uh, exactly. Opponent. It's like, when do you need to use the skill? Because, okay, if you're playing chess or if I'm actually delivering a workshop, I need to be thinking ahead as well. But do yeah. I need to be like, do I need to think about the chess match and what moves I'm going to make as I'm going from home to the, to the venue where the match is happening? Yeah. Do I need to be thinking about it then? Probably not. Yeah. It's like sports personalities as well. It's like before they go and perform... They try. They zone out. They don't think about anything, so that they can get back into flow or you know calm down and get into a good mental state before they have to then go and do. Yeah, yeah, good point. So uh, we're we're going to close this this inspirational interview. I've I've noted down quite some takeaways. For instance, how you deal with perfectionism, which is uh, quite common with uh, with people with stress, cutting your idea in half and making a good plan from from there that is a very good point that i've noted down also you're um, asking for help and saying no those two things that have helped you a lot i think there are, and there are way more takeaways from this great interview with you thank you a lot for that any um, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners yeah actually i do is that it's a process that we go through and we're going to relapse in some way, to some degree. And I think I just want you all to remember that just because you relapse, just because you go back into old habit doesn't mean that you failed. doesn't mean you haven't learned anything. It's really normal, we, and we all do it. So just, from, just I hope that you can, like, when you notice yourself getting into an old habit or getting stressed, is like, oh, okay, just notice that you're doing it and, f- and then figure out what you need to stop 
or to do something else and not beat yourself up about it because it's really normal. Life happens to us as well. And things in life can be incredibly stressful. So if you're triggered, then you're triggered. But then just like recover. I guess that's the thing is recover and don't go into a guilt spiral. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So don't be too hard on yourself. Be kind. Be kind. Yeah. All right. How can people best reach you or learn more about your um, your coaching practice? Or you also have a, a blog, right? Yeah. So um, I've kept it very simple. So my website is Amber Rahim Coaching. And my blog about where I talk about living with chronic illness is amberrahim.com. So that's a really good way. And there are links on there on my, my phone numbers there, my e- email. Uh, there's a contact form. So if anybody has any questions or just wants to have a chat, I love having coffee and chats with people. Even if it's like through online, we all get together on Zoom and get our drink of choice and chat. This is a topic that I love to talk about. I love to hear how other people are doing it. I love to share and answer questions just like we've been doing today. So um, happy to hear from people. Lovely. I'll definitely link out to your website. So amberrahimcoaching.com. Yeah. And you said also amberrahim.com, right? Yeah. All right. And your other social profiles just in the show notes to make sure our listeners are able to find you. Again, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Head over to burnoutpower.com for the show notes with key takeaways and all the links. So burnoutpower.com and easily find yours by searching on episode number or the name of our guest. For my next episode, I have a few amazing guests lined up for you. To grab their powerful insights as well, please tune in. To get notified, make sure you click on that follow or subscribe button and you're set to move you away from your burnout history. Speak to you next time. Bye for now.